0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Culture of Truth. This is a podcast that reviews the truth of God's word and discusses the influence it has on our lives and worldview. My name is Will Hawkins, and I have here with me my good friends, Jeff Amstutz. Hey, 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 And Rob Greer. What's up, guys? To those of you joining for the first time, we're glad you're here. And if this isn't your first time listening, welcome back. Last week, we started chapter two of First Peter. We encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Today, we move into verses 13 through 17. So let's check in first before we dive in. Rob, how have you experienced God's truth this week? This week, so we had our
1: last premarital counseling and it went really well. We had them over at our house and it was fun to just kind of catch up with them, go over what you know the last bit of our material was going to be. And it was very encouraging for both my fiance and i i preface this with with that because in the good moments and in the moments where things are seemingly going well it's very easy to want to praise god and give him glory for all the things that are happening right well twice in the last 2 days my fiance and i have gotten into some arguments hmm. and i don't want to get i won't get into the specifics but all i want to say is that through those arguments I think just through us conversing on what was going on, how do we get here? You know, how do we resolve this? How do we have a reconciling conversation? I think the truth that I learned from that is that through us coming together and acknowledging that I was wrong or that she was wrong and being able to talk about those things and encourage each other with the gospel... I just experienced God's forgiveness and like love through my fiance, because it's easy on the other side of that to think like, man, we'll never get there. But if you're actually obedient to coming together as a couple and as, as a soon to be married couple and loving one another in that way, you experience a deeper love for each other and a deeper love for God. And so I think for me, that's the truth that I've experienced is, is being able to come together with her and to say, Babe, I'm sorry. I said this wrong. I did this wrong. Here's how it felt, et cetera, et cetera. But being able to encourage each other in that with the gospel of of reminding each other of like, this is who we are and this is why we do this. That was a sweet thing and something that was worth giving God glory for.
2: Yeah. Praise God that he would show you that even before you get married. Yeah. Because what you just said is something that can take some married couples years to figure out. Appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and would you say that you love her more? Oh, my gosh. Because of all this? Literally before I left to come here, I said,
1: Babe, I love you more tonight <laughs> than I did yesterday. And I'm very thankful that we went through this. Yeah. It's crazy mm-hmm. because, no, it's not crazy. It's it, it's crazy in the sense that you would say that after something like that happens, but that, I think that's the beauty in it and why God commands us to thank him in everything. Yeah, Because it's like, I have something worth you seeing more of me in, even when it looks terrible and Mm. it feels
2: bad. Mm. It's like, no,
1: I'm still a good father.
2: There's something beautiful about repentance, Mm. about choosing to walk away from your sin, for you to seek reconciliation, for you to say, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I acted sinful with you. And to see reconciliation happen is such a beautiful thing. and what will get you guys through more and more as marriage comes. And then it's been a while you've been married and then you've been married a long time. These are the things that he just builds that marriage relationship on. That's awesome, dude.
1: Amen. Mm. Thank you.
2: Mm. Can't wait. Yeah, man, it's going to be great.
0: (laughs) Makes my heart happy. Thanks for sharing, Rob. Jeff, how about you? Lately,
2: uh, the biggest thing for me is the power of prayer with things that have been going on. To, to keep it short, at the Austin Stone, the staff currently have been hit by a huge wave of COVID, and it's hit Jimmy McNeil. Uh, again, that man has been through so much suffering in the last two years, it's it's nuts. Um, but in praying for him, praying for some stuff that has been going on with multiple friends of, of trials, that is, you know, trials that I'll keep anonymous for now, that we pray, we have community praying and God answers them. He comes through and he is faithful to hear those that uh, that love him. And it's been incredible to watch him work uh, in literally a dozen ways in the last week. Uh, we don't have time to like go through each one of those. I just want to say my heart's very full of him acting in mysteriously powerful ways to draw people to him by letting suffering happen And then letting their faith shine because of it. What a, what a beautiful thing. So it's, it's even in the same boat of what Rob just said of their suffering, but somehow faith is strengthened and purified in that. So our dependence on God, our dependence on Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit is just increased because we went through that. And this past week, uh, there's just been a lot of different threads of stories happening of that happening in people's lives in my life um uh just prayer's been a huge part of it
0: yeah and uh makes me think of god's sufficiency i mm-hmm. don't know if you mentioned that but with both of you guys that's what that's what you both guys are touching about mm-hmm. touching on yeah his sufficiency and that ties in with what i was going to uh, speak about for my truth that i've experienced this week with god uh just as I've re- as i've been in counseling I had another session this past week and reflecting on childhood, you know, young adult, getting to where I am now. Some of the hurts, some of the things that I've experienced just with family and my own sin and what led me to Jesus ultimately was that I had a void. I had some, a a gap from, I feel like one of the big ones is my, my dad was not around in my childhood. So my point is, that led to a lot of sin patterns, I believe. And I was always looking for something to fill that gap that I had. And Jesus was the one who was able to provide that. So as I am a grown adult now, I, I look back and I'm just like, even in all of that and me coming to him was realizing that Jesus was sufficient for what I needed and continues to be sufficient for what I need today and the future.
2: Amen, man. That's, so that's, that's my awesome. truth. Yeah.
0: So, uh, and I love seeing it in you, your y'all's life as well. So let's go ahead and get an overview. Jeff, can you help us recap First Peter up to this point?
2: Yeah, we've had a several episodes of recapping some details of what we've been reading in First Peter. So I'll just say we are reading a letter from Peter to dispersed believers that is reminding them of their identity because of the work of God, because of the work of Christ to save them. And now we're, because of that identity shift, we're talking through the way Peter's reminding us how that looks in our everyday life, how we're to live holy, live like God's chosen people because of what God's done for us.
0: With that, let's go ahead and dive into chapter two, verses 13 through 17. Rob, can you go ahead and read that for us? Yep. All right. Verse 13 says, be subject for the
1: Lord's sake to every human institution Fear God. Honor the emperor.
0: Okay, first we'll look through 13 through 15. So specifically in 13, is there anything that stands out to you? I know for me, be subject right away. That stands out to me. What, what about for you guys?
2: What just leaps out of me is how the verse saying, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or governor's, it's just, it just screams America is not your God. because So I, I often jump after I've done REAP and I've considered what the text says, um, what jumps out of me is application. And it just comes straight to mind is do not worship America. It's, it's good to participate in politics. It's good to want to see the betterment of society through a government, through our participation in it. So those things aren't evil, but man, is it so easy to get wrapped up and that's where our hope is in an election, in a bill that's passed, in a campaign, in a rally, and just it's so easy to think, oh man, that's it. That's the thing that is going to save us. That's the thing that's going to prevent suffering from happening is in Washington or in our local government or something. And this is talking about a time when none of that participation happened. I mean, this is, this is talking about people subject to rulers who just got to rule absolutely. It's talking about Rome, mm. the Roman Empire, the emperor who just gets to declare law and, and be the supreme leader of everything. And governors governors who are see, overseeing the carrying out of those laws in, in local uh, jurisdictions. I mean, that this is a way nastier governance setup than we get to experience in America. And what does Peter say? Hmm. be subject to those things because the way you conduct yourself when you feel you're being unjustly treated Hmm. will scream the gospel louder than so many other things.
1: Amen. I mean, that's been the theme of first Peter as we've read up to this point last week in our previous episode. One of the things that we all three echoed was the fact that God has done everything necessary. He initiated the relationship with you Salvation belongs to him. And because of that, we are now a different people, a chosen people, a holy priesthood. Go down the list, right? But when we are that, I when we have that as an identity and we act like that, even when we're suffering, right? Suffering under a, a government or an emperor that is suppressing. Like you just said, Jeff, we have the opportunity to display the gospel in a much more loud way in, in visual way because, and we won't get to it tonight. I'm very eager to talk about it. But in the verses after 17, Peter begins to talk about the image of Christ. Like we're modeling what it means to suffer unjustly while entrusting ourselves to a God who is in control. And so, I mean, that's what I think about, especially when you get to verse 14, it says, or to the governors as sent by him to Mm -hmm. punish those who do evil. And to praise those who do good, like God put whoever the president is in place for his glory and for our good. Now I know that that is like a, maybe a a very cliche statement, but if you go back and read 13, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Like Mm. your submission to the authorities that be is not for them, it's for God. And so I think that's the important thing for us and even myself, as I'm saying this to remind us is like, like you said, Jeff, our government is not our God and we're not going to die with that person being our authority. That's right.
0: I was just going to say, I love that you highlighted for the Lord's sake. I, I skipped over that. I mean, it's not for the rulers. It's not for the people that we're subject to or it's not for ourselves either. It's for the Lord ultimately to bring him glory because of what you mentioned, Jeff, about what the effect that it has on non-believers.
2: There's this really interesting opportunity you have when whoever's in office in America is not who you agree with, that you can say to someone else who knows that you're on the other side of the aisle and say, yeah, my hope isn't in that. My hope's in Jesus. Because it's really easy, if, if you're really gung-ho about who's in office, it's easy to be like, yeah, cool, they're awesome, they're great, and you end up talking so much better about them than about Christ. It's easy for someone in America to think that you're talking about that person in, in political office being your savior, who's going to save the day because they're the ones who was elected. And what's really sad is a lot of us in the church might have been deceived in some of those ways and -hmm. thinking, Oh, that person in office is the person who's going to finally make things right. Mm -hmm. And God works through those people for Mm -hmm. sure. But your personal hope in that person being not primarily on God and then look forward to the way God's going to work through someone, you giving glory to someone who isn't Christ is very suspicious at best And at its worst, it is you worshiping and trusting in something that isn't God.
0: I wonder if y'all can help me with something. I know me personally, especially when it comes to, you know, government, political parties, elections, etc. I try to I try to wrestle with where I sit in all that Hmm. on the side of apathy or resting in knowing that God's going to handle it no matter what. So then yeah, where I'm trying to figure out where I sit in that. Hmm. Cause it can feel like apathy sometimes, but is it really me just being, (laughs) Hey, God's got it. I don't got to worry about it. So I don't even try to participate. And that's,
2: uh, especially if we look at American history, uh, with the whole separation of church and state, one dimension is what you're saying. Will is am I apathetic or really, really involved uh, emotionally with my time and all my resources. And the other dimension is, is my faith supposed to be like word for word, the Bible informing, uh, how I think the government should behave or is, is it a separate entity that God will work through, but I don't use the Bible as my blueprint for what I think policy should look like. And so those two, you can be apathetic and think, eh, I think they should follow the Bible, but I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, or it could be, I care a ton and it's, it's not the church. So it's a separate entity we can reason about through, and yes, God will work through those things, but we're not going to open the Bible. And it's just really complicated landscape. And man, the one scripture that comes to mind when it comes to our participation in politics is James one. When we get to go vote, when we get to talk to anyone about politics, you know what I'm asking for, at least for me personally, it's for wisdom. Say, like, God, I don't know what's a wise choice here mm-hmm. is generally not very obvious. Uh, and I need wisdom and I need wisdom, not only about the decision I'll make in a voting booth, mm-hmm. but in the decision on how do I talk about this with other people? I find
0: myself yeah. always needing the latter of what you said. Yeah. Lord, I need wisdom to talk to my coworker right now who is very adamant on this opposite Hmm. Viewpoint, yeah, I find myself that's, in that a lot. That's, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. You're not alone
1: in that, and yeah, it, it can be a difficult thing. But one thing I I want to just remind ourselves of, because this is comforting for me to read, and we talked about this prior to starting this podcast. But Romans thirteen one, this is what it says: it says Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except. From God and those that exist that exist have been instituted by God. The reason why that's comforting is like when I am going to that booth or when I am having to have that conversation with someone, even if I don't necessarily see the person that I voted for as the most complete person that I'm looking to be, you know, our our president or mayor, whoever it is, you know, God put that person in place because he has a plan for whatever they're trying to do. And for me who believes in God, like I can trust that, all right, Lord, even if he or she is going to make these type of decisions, I can trust that whatever happens, it's going to be for the good of those who are under that authority. I don't want to overstate this, but I just think when it comes to politics, I try not to get caught up in the, the, the quarreling of it. It's mm. just not necessary. Yeah. I'm not going to get anywhere with it. At the end of the day, it's like you said, Jeff, my authority is not only the the government that I submit to, but ultimately it's is Jesus. He's the one that is going to have the the say at the end. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I'll even encourage you with that by building on it because Rob, what you just said was the quarreling of it is what you're not into. And that's to me exactly what makes something a good conversation and and turns it into a a bad conversation that doesn't have love in it. If love is not involved, then it's not good. Uh, And when I think about politics in that way, in a similar way, I care more about your relationship with the topic than what your content of the topic is. If you're thinking to yourself in a conversation that there's one side that just is righteous or is not righteous, and that's what you're absolutely convinced of, I'll gently remind you, you know what righteousness is defined in the Bible? In Romans four, righteousness is, where did you place your faith? In Jesus Christ or in something else? Mm -hmm. And you're probably banking it on something that isn't Jesus Christ, overtly and explicitly, not this, I'm gonna try to do righteous things and then call that Christianity and that's how I worship. No, it's, I depend on the word of God, on the power of prayer, on using my spiritual gifts to serve the church, to live as a living sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, for all these things we're even talking about in first Peter. Like that's what I care about. So if politics turns into a God, Hey, that's where the conversation is going to go. Maybe it shouldn't be regardless if we agree a thousand percent mm. or negative a thousand percent.
0: Mm. Amen. How would all of the statements that you Jeff, but also you Rob have just said, go go, hand in hand with verse 15.
2: I know for me with verse 15 saying for this is the will of God. Okay. So we want, let me just real quick pause. When people talk about what is the will of God, I need to discern what the will of God is. There are, there are some verses in the Bible that like Jesus says, this is the will of my father here. Peter is saying, this is the will of God. If you really want to know what the will of God is, start with those verses. This is one of them for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I mean, when we talk about what is wise and what is foolish, it starts with the fear of God. We even get that later in the section we're studying. Fear of God saying, God's the authority in my life. And he's going to have the final say. I'm going to follow him above all else. Doesn't mean I don't participate in other things. It just means that when everything gets boiled off, God is what remains in my faith and my trust and my affections and all that. So what we just said is by doing good, when your enemy comes to your doorstep, could be a political enemy, could be a more severe thing. Um, But when I got someone who's on the other side of the aisle or has disagreeing opinions about politics, how to deal with basically humanity's sin. It's what we're really talking about with policy. If I'm going to do good to that person and say, man, I'm going to serve you because Jesus served me when I completely rejected him, when I completely nailed him to the cross if I'm going to serve you in those moments too, that's going to be your most clear representation of who the person of Christ is. And so they, they don't know what's going on. They're foolish. They are not someone who is seeking God. They're not someone who's trusting in Jesus. But in that moment, when they're about to butt heads with you over that, you can show them by literally being like Jesus in that moment, or you can bite, take the bait and, and sin and, and, Just argue your head off with them about things that eternally don't matter. Have you bitten before? Oh, so many times. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm saying this as the guy who's got it wrong thousands of times. Go up in arms. Jeff up in arms. Oh, man. I used to do competitive debate, y'all.
1: I saw Jeff get in a fight once. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I was like, where was I?
2: (laughs) (laughs) What do you do, hug him? him? I used to do competitive debate and... um. I used to describe it as football with words. It's very strategic, but about just tackling each other with, with ideas and thoughts. and uh, It's rough. And I had to learn over years that those can, those contrived environments about a topic that neither of us were that emotionally invested in, in, in personally, but we got really into like the sport of debate, man, that's a great way to practice your muscle of not loving people let's talk this out. Let's hash Mm. it out. Let's get out all the details. And almost everyone I've ever met in my life has no interest in doing that. So what does it look like to love them? How about meet them where they're at? Yeah. Talk about things that are important to them. How do I consider them more important than myself? Then, Hey, let's go, let's go talk about all these details Mm. and about all this stuff that you think is uncomfortable. And it's not the gospel. Like if it's the gospel. We might deal with a little discomfort, but yeah, Anything yeah. else is just not important. And yeah. I've screwed that up so much.
1: Yeah. I I pretty much want to say exactly what you said, because at the end of the day, it's about, it's about looking like Christ. And I keep looking at the part of the verse that says, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When you, when you think about the questions that the Pharisees would ask Jesus and the things that he would say back, and they literally said nothing back. Like, I want my responses that Jesus makes to be like that, to where they have nothing else to say except to feel not foolish because I want to shame them, but foolish because I want them to come to their senses. And I want them to understand that there's something bigger than what you were arguing about or the word that I mentioned earlier, quarreling. I gain nothing from that. And I want that person to know the truth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's key to, uh, to put to silence the ignorance yeah. of hmm. foolish people. There's a, couple, there's a couple of things that come to mind for that for me. Ignorance first just means they don't know. They don't understand. They are without understanding. And so why would you hold someone else's thoughts and affections to something that they're completely unaware of? Yeah. Now, And there's even multiple dimensions of that. There's one of they just might not know because they've never been told. They might just need the gospel prophesy. Tell them what scripture says. This is what the word of God says, or it could be there without understanding. Why don't you sit down and teach them what the word says instead of just assume they should know that, Hmm. you know, or they just forgot what the word says. Exhort them. Tell them, Hey, do you, don't you remember what scripture says? This is what it says or rebuke them. They know what it says and they're just in sin. Now those four things are dealing with what? Ignorance of I do not have the truth of God in the forefront of my mind on my tongue as I am walking through life. And so when we meet people where they're at, it's to deal with them just not understanding the gospel. Because if they were, if they did understand, you probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be a brother in Christ. You know, why would you be arguing about anything? Uh, you'd be in prayer seeking reconciliation with each other. Uh, and so when when you do good to people who do not understand the gospel, that shows them the gospel.
0: Hmm. And we're able to do that because we have a freedom in Jesus, right? Yeah. And then we see that in verse 16. So, what I want to ask is in verse 16, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So specifically in 16, we see live as people who are free, but then in start of first verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So you see, it says be subject, but then in there, it says as people who are free. Hmm. Where do you, how do you, <laughs> what do you guys do with that? Yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm smiling as, as I'm about to say this, cause we, we literally talked about this prior to starting recording and I think that when when you think about the question you asked, Will, of like, how do you be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution and also live free? I think that freedom that Peter is talking about, first of all, and you mentioned this, Jeff, was the freedom from sin. The fact that we as believers, because of God's salvation and God or salvation belonging to God and him initiating what we ultimately needed first, which was to deal with the sin so that we can embrace God's forgiveness and love through Jesus. Like that first is what compels us to do what we are called to do, which is to subject ourselves to the Lord or for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so compare that with someone who is putting all their chips on the president or whoever their emperor or governor is, right? Like you want to put into question where, are you allowing your freedom to be? Is it, my freedom is going to be if X person is in an office and if they have X policy in place or if they have, you know, X tone or X people or person in their circle, or is it, hey God, you saved me first and foremost. I now understand my need for you and the fact that you calling me to be subject for your sake to every human... Uh, institution is going to allow me to be even more free because when I act a certain way and that way being more like Jesus, it's going to allow people who aren't choosing Jesus to see, oh, this is why you are choosing or speaking about God being your ultimate authority. It's because they don't know that freedom. They don't know that that freedom is what allows them to be obedient in a way that allows them to enjoy God for who he is. And so that's a long winded way of just saying like, when you are called by God to submit to the authorities that be every human institution, he's not saying submit to every human institution so that you will be free. Like, no, you already are mm-hmm. free. And because you are free, you can obey every human institution that I put in place, Yeah, but you already know that, that person or that entity is not in control. Uh, yeah. It
0: helps us to obey, yeah. I think, even more in a, in a place where there's not this hostility or resentment or anything like that or, or a heart that doesn't reflect Jesus. I think having that freedom helps us do that.
2: Yeah. The, the word freedom, I think, has its most clear meaning when you consider what are you free from. And Rob, you touched on this a little bit in the beginning. What you just said, when you say "I am free," if you do not connect it, what am I free from? It's kind of a meaningless word. So, for, let me give you an example. When when I was a kid, I used to think I didn't really have a lot of freedom. My parents told me what to do, and they they gave me a framework to grow up, and they, they gave me more and more autonomy. Okay, not freedom. They gave me more autonomy as I grew up. But my freedom was I lived in their house, I lived by their rules, and <laughs> praise the Lord, I had a great childhood, so I'm not complaining at all. However, when I became an adult, I quote-unquote had my freedom, I'm doing an air quotes right now, and what I didn't realize is that when I was growing up in my parents' house, I was free from the concern of paying for a mortgage. I was free from the concern of worrying about what's for dinner. I was free from the concern of having transportation, It's free from the concern of having to pay for a lot of stuff. When I became an adult, I got to make those choices. But now I was not free from having to be responsible for those things. So if you consider freedom only as a very narrow thing, like I have no freedom if I'm not free from X. You're not actually considering what you are free in other places. And Paul makes this really clear argument in Romans 6. He talks about being slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, and there's no distinction. So go read Romans 6, uh, and it can grow your understanding that your freedom when when in the New Testament, when any, any of the epistles, when we talk about freedom in Christ, it means freedom from your own sin. What's sin? Sin is anything in your life not being submitted to God. Not being done in worship to God. So sometimes that's overt things that God says, if you do this, it is sin. It also could be amoral things that are used for doing evil. And they're they're sin because of your heart, your heart disposition. The point being is your freedom in Christ is to not have to sin. So when your flesh tempts you, uh, when you are tempted to sin, your freedom in Christ is you don't actually have to do that. You can walk away because you've been given the Holy spirit to walk away from your sin. And so here, that's exactly what Peter's talking about is use your freedom to serve God. Because if you weren't free in Christ, you're just going to quarrel with people. You're just going to be a horrible citizen Mm -hmm. who's out for themselves and look nothing like Christ. And yeah, you would be, you would be free from Christ but that means you would just be completely dominated by your own sin. There's nothing you could do about it. You are totally hopeless without Christ to walk away from your own sin. Life will only be about you. It'll only be about the things you care about. And Peter's directly telling people, you have the power to walk. You have the power to look like Christ in these, in these moments that people who do not know Christ can't possibly look like him.
0: He tells us live as servants. And, but before that live as people who are free,
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. free from sin right
0: yeah so when you when when people read that word they read over that part and it says servants do you think it's natural for people to trip up over that servants of god they I, i feel like people some people could read that and be like well but he just told me to be free but to live as a servant of god and so but i mean ultimately that's what we're that's what we're doing that's what we're here for is to glorify and honor him to serve the Lord in whatever it is that he wants us to do.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing I just want to add to that real quick, being a servant of God is not a suppressive thing. It literally is freeing because you are doing what you were meant to do, what you were created to do. And, you know, when you are not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, you don't feel like you have to conceal anything. You are literally free to do what is necessary Not only to hopefully speak the truth to that person who is ignorant or foolish of the truth, but also
0: to walk in your identity, which we talked Mm. about last week. Helps us walk in our identity. Yeah. I like that. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The four pretty bold, straight, like strong statements. I like that. So first one, honor everyone yeah, and it's honor everyone. And it says love the brotherhood. So it's speaking about people in general, right? And then people of the faith. Am I reading that right?
2: Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good reading of it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. And so me personally, you know, within our culture today, you know, you have, you have people groups who don't necessarily feel like Christians love them or respect them and so we read here honor everyone so how do you guys kind of reconcile that
2: yeah we were talking about this a little bit before we started cuz apparently we had a bunch of conversations before we started recording
0: you <laughs> should have hit should have hit uh, record <laughs>
2: yeah the thing is we often put people into boxes and then use that box to say i don't have to love you i don't have to honor you and the the the, th- the big mistake is that we Stop looking at people as image bearers of the living God that you are looking at someone before we even get to where their walk with Jesus is. They are an image of the living God. They bear communicable attributes or attributes that we get to share in with God, that person is bearing those things as they live their life in some way, shape or form. It's broken, it's marred with sin, if you're a listener, if you're will, Rob or Jeff, we are broken too. So, but the point is, is that that person bears the image of God. So to honor them is to first consider their humanity as it rightly should be before we put them in boxes of like overt sin, not overt sin, all that stuff. And so when it comes to, we'll say people groups, um, political parties, political movements, uh, w- whatever you want. If we ever say that those people should be de- viewed as dehumanized as they really don't truly, they aren't image bearers of the living God, then we are viewing them wrongly. And so if, if you look at someone else and you see some overt sin in their life, whatever it is, and you do not honor them because you think their sin is, not, is above being forgiven by Jesus then you need to look in the mirror because you don't deserve to be forgiven either. I mean, Jesus straight up tells us that your father in heaven will forgive you as you forgive others.
1: Mm.
2: And so, yeah, there's, there's places for discussions about, about doctrinal issues in a church and someone who comes in and says, I don't want to submit to scripture in a part of my life. Okay. That's a discussion. But if we're going to say, I sniff a sin in your life, be away from me mm, that you're going to look nothing like Jesus. Cause what did Jesus do? He went and hung out with sinners and he sought them out and said, you need me. That's what we should do.
0: That's right. That's good. Thank you for, for speaking into that. What, di- what distinction do you guys see in fear, God, honor the emperor? What distinction do you see between those two statements? I mean, one says fear and the other one says honor. Mm-hmm. Fear of God is
1: not a, I'm scared of him or I don't, I can't approach God. That's not what fear means. Fear means that I'd put God in the place that he deserves to be, which is ultimate. And by fearing God, I, I have a reverence of him for who he is and what he can do or has done. And so if God is ultimate in our lives, and we know that the emperor is not, although God put that person or people in place to govern the people, then he above all is the one that is in control of that situation. And so when I read fear God and honor the emperor, it's like God is ultimately the one I submit my life to. His word is what guides me. It's the light to my path, right? And so he helps me understand what it is that, I need to know about myself and what I need to know about the world around me. And so when it says honored the emperor, we just got through reading in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or, you know, president, whatever word you want to throw in there. It's like, Hey, I'm going to honor that person as well. Just like you said, Jeff, as any other human being out there who is an image bearer, who bears the communicable attributes of God. So, that person isn't less of an image bearer. They're still an image bearer. And I'm called to love that person just as much as I'm called to love my brother.
2: Yeah, there's a cross-reference here that's coming to mind. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we, When we read that story in the Old Testament, it's these guys who are living in Babylon. So they're not even in the Promised Land. They're living as exiles. But what do they do? They honor the king. The king looks on them favorably. And the only time they go and um, don't show honor to the king is when Nebuchadnezzar asks them to bow to him as if he were God. You know how rare it is that a leader is going to ask you to overtly sin? You know how much of Babylon that King Nebuchadnezzar governed that allowed them to, allowed those citizens to not worship God? That's one thing. It's different when he says, okay, you got to worship me now. You got to bow down to me because I'm, I'm basically a God. And that story comes to mind because don't forget the narrative up to that point. We always think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they didn't bow down. They got thrown in the furnace, but then angel of the Lord comes and and keeps them from dying and keeps them safe. Uh, And then, you know, we understand that. But the story leading up to that is... They were in good relationship with the king, the king that they're in exile to that that doesn't represent the kings of Israel uh, as the people of Israel knew before that. They had all these reasons to to want to hate Nebuchadnezzar, but they honored him anyway. And it's it's just this this concept is timeless of there are going to be these people in power, and if you hyper focus on them being a perfect follower of god you're going to find that you're never going to find a government ever ever in the history of the world that is as righteous as you desire it's a kind of a good desire that something worships god with like a government but you're just never going to find people who are sinners who are going to actually be jesus is the only one who's who's perfect as you want them to be as you want him to be so we, we fear the Lord when we honor the emperor, even if we're in exile, like Peter's writing to all these Christians mm-hmm. who are in exile.
0: Yeah. I love, I love how he speaks to the authority there. Fear God versus honor the emperor. Yeah. Okay. So we've gone through verses 13 through 17. What is the one to three sentence summary of the verses we read today?
2: I think Peter's saying, remember the words of Jesus. When he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. If you find yourself in a country that has a leadership that you disagree with, fear God and still honor that governing authority. That'll show people Jesus.
0: Amen. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for today. To those that listened, we hope that you were encouraged and equipped in truth today. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please share this podcast so that others can be encouraged and equipped in God's truth. Join us next episode as we continue our study in 1 Peter. As always, thanks for listening to the Culture of Truth podcast. Until next time.
2: See you later, everybody. Peace.